We are here to uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly of the IT industry. My name is Robin Johns, and this is Convergence by Cato Networks. One of the most mysterious and yet popular buzzwords in IT today is cloud computing, or simply, the cloud. But what is the cloud actually? How does its architecture affect the way your organization can grow? Should all your applications run on a public or private cloud or both? In this episode, we will leave you with the knowledge you need to have a friendly conversation with your colleagues about the main cloud architecture types. We will be hosting Dane Jackson, Cato Network's Senior Manager of Professional Services, to demystify the enigma of the cloud. Let's get started. Welcome, Dane. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. My pleasure. So for all the viewers at home, let's learn a bit about yourself. How did you get to where you are today? What is your journey? I've got a pretty um, diverse journey of my career over the last 20 years or so in IT. Uh, started off in higher education here in the United States, working for a large university. Moved around a little bit there and got a lot of really great exposure from some, um, I believe we classically call them uh, Unix Greybeards, the guys who I'm talking about know who they are. So got a really great opportunity at the, the very large scale university academic systems. Moved on from there into strategy consulting, merger and acquisition, carve out energy and utility. Got a lot of great experience on strategy and how to execute on major transformations around organizations that are either splitting or emerging together. I feel like that really kind of defined my business acumen. Uh, moved on from there into large enterprise, supporting uh, one of the largest hotel chains in the world. Got a real great understanding of scale and how to operate at a global level. I feel like just the combination of those things, while it's not really a, a straight line in a career, really helped define who I am today and feel like it kind of, maybe by accident, gave me a really great foundation to continue building my career. That is great to know. And from your career path, it seems that you are what we call in the industry a seasoned veteran or an expert. So I was wondering there are if you a few grades forming in the beard here. <laughs> it's a journey. Eventually we all become gray beards. You either live long enough to defeat Unix or you become the Unix master yourself. That's just generally how tech works. So I'm relatively, well, what's the term? I, I'm quite a bit of an idiot and I'm still learning the ways of technology and security and all that fun. So I want to start by asking you kind of an embarrassing but simple question, and that is, what is the cloud? What does it mean to us? I actually really like this question for the wrong reason, and it's because everybody has a different answer to it. When we first started talking about doing the podcast, I had to really stop and remember, because I haven't been asked this question in probably a decade, um, you know, what is the cloud? Because when you Google it or you search, you know, when you search around, you, you find... 20, 30 different answers. Some are similar, some have just nuanced changes, while others are just like dramatically different. And a lot of it depends on the perspective of who's saying it. Are they an enterprise talking about using cloud hosted by somebody else? Or are they actually like a cloud provider talking about the services they offer to their customers? In my mind, at its most simple way of putting it, cloud is just a more modern way of offering IT services. It's just uh, the next generation of the way we do things evolving from classic standalone servers through the various iterations into cloud being the new way to do it. I think realistically at a business level, cloud is all about speed and agility. The old ways we talk about running servers, I mean, literally back in the day, I want to spin up a, 
a new Microsoft Exchange server or a new database server. You literally had to make a phone call and wait for somebody to grab a server out of a box, rack up rails, put the thing inside the rails, power it up, image it, connect it to the network, all this handcrafted stuff. And that's what we wanted to get away from because it was slow. It lacked agility. It would take weeks, if not months, to provision. And we just, the business could no longer afford that kind of approach. IT became too critical to the business to be working at that level. That sounds great. So you're saying that the idea of the cloud is to abstract from physical to a logical space. Is that correct? That's a component of it. I mean, I don't think necessarily cloud has to be that abstract, in my opinion. You can run cloud on, say, bare metal where you're doing just-in-time provisioning and you're doing other things. The key becomes how do you achieve speed and agility, which can be provisioning, auto-provisioning servers where they just boot up, they grab a pixie boot, they fully image. And the key for speed and agility may be that you just need to have 30, 40 servers sitting in a rack ready to go unprovisioned, and you have to keep more uh, lead, more lead resources available. So it's not explicitly about virtualizing uh, and getting away from physical as much as it's about changing the way we build out our infrastructure, in my opinion, in order to achieve it. That said, that's most often achieved through virtualization and those kinds of functions, whether it's uh, at a virtual machine level or it's thinking more newer constructs like containers and stuff like that. The big thing in my mind that I use to define cloud is I have my three core tenants that I define cloud with. Uh, if you, like I said, you Google around, you'll see people who have different tenants. Uh, they may be similar, they may be different, they may have more, they may even have less. But realistically, I define it as on-demand consumption is, is the big one in me. You just have to be able to click a button and start consuming. No more this submit the ticket, wait for the box to get open, wait for the server to get put up in the rack, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry, are you describing the cloud or Uber Eats there? Because that's generally my <laughs> on-demand consumption. You can, you can abstract this to your food too, as long as they're fast. They got to be scalable too. So that's my next one there. Yeah, you got to be highly scalable. So you got to have a lot of drivers bringing that food to all the people too. So on-demand consumption, you know, and a big part of on-demand consumption is automation is a, is a core component of that tenant. And then monitoring, observability. You want to be able to see this thing cradle to grave from the moment you start deploying it while you're running it to when you go to decommission, whatever it is running on the cloud, that's a core attribute of consumption. Uh, highly scalable, adding capacity can't be a big thing. You just have to be able to scale repetitiously, consistently, without major disruption. I think I quoted it here in my notes is, it, you know, scaling out the platform cannot be a big deal. It just has to be part of operations. You mentioned earlier that the cloud can sometimes be deployed on TIN and you can pixie boot things. So what would be the difference between, say, a data center and a private cloud? Well, private and public really have nothing to do with cloud. It's just a matter of where the stuff is running. So even some of our biggest public cloud providers offer bare metal hosted services. That's becoming kind of a thing for people who are doing, especially like a high performance computing, where it's I don't even want the overhead of a virtualization, you know, a hypervisor, be it type one, type two, whatever. I don't even want that on the box. I just want the box to boot up into whatever my HPC platform operating system is, start taking jobs. And then when I want to upgrade it, I literally rebuild the whole box from scratch because even the minimal overhead that a hypervisor adds is still wasted when I'm going to consume every bit of RAM, every bit of CPU cycle doing a single job or distributed job, whatever, a single purpose. 
So there's no reason to even have the virtualization layer on it. Just run bare metal. And just You just have to be able to provision quickly and scale quickly. So if we're provisioning quickly and scaling quickly, this might sound like a, a silly question, but does that mean all SaaS services are always cloud and cloud is always SaaS or are they decoupled? I have a favorite quote and I was trying to figure out a way to fit this in here. And I don't know that I ever figured out a way to fit it, but it was, um, what is it? All bourbons are whiskey, but not all whiskeys are bourbon. <laughs> so I feel like that kind of as a general level kind of gets my point here where it's cloud is not IaaS, but IaaS is cloud or PaaS is cloud or SaaS is cloud. Those things run on cloud platforms. So when you say infrastructure as a service or platform as a service or software as a service, that's all about the level of abstraction that the consumer is receiving from the cloud provider. Now, whether it's public or private, that is purely an attribute of, am I going to a third party, a public cloud, and giving them a credit card and saying, hey, swipe this thing, run my numbers, and start billing me for whatever I consume? Or am I going to my internal infrastructure team and saying, hey, build me out a cloud platform in our data center using our hardware and tell me when it's ready and I consume it in the same sort of on-demand manner as I do public. It's all about that. So public versus private isn't really about cloud as much as cloud is about those tenants. You mentioned that you've been doing this for, say, 10 years, and you haven't been asked what is the cloud in, in 10 years. So if we were to look five years from now, do you think the entire landscape will look as we are today? Do you have any predictions of how things would grow? Because honestly, I'm a tad confused about the entire mystery of the cloud. I much prefer being able to hold things and touch things because then I know where they are. So where do you think we're headed? I think we've already seen the beginning of the next five years. I don't think the next five years, in my opinion, as far as... so, And I speak as applied. What are real businesses doing with their real business services? I'm not talking about, you know, what's everybody going to start thinking about and selling and trying to get us to do in five years. I'm thinking about really what's going to happen with businesses who are out there doing, making widgets and shipping boxes, that kind of thing. And the reality is, we've already started there, which is reconsidering our movement from the private infrastructure. I don't say cloud because a lot of us that are running services and applications and storing data inside private facilities aren't cloud. They're an old school way of doing things. They might be running virtualization, but they haven't finished connecting the full on-demand consumption. Or maybe they're, um, the third tenant I was going to bring up is resiliency. The infrastructure may just not be to that level of resiliency yet. Because resiliency is about not about the fact that you want to block from ever having failure, but it's how you deal with failure. And a lot of our legacy infrastructure, it can survive failures, but it's rough. 90 seconds of outage or five minutes of outage or a day of recovery for backup, things like that. We just don't have that kind of resiliency we need yet in order to be truly cloud. So a lot of companies said, hey, this stuff that's out on public cloud that has these, you know, these core tenants fully developed, fully delivered. This is a better place to run my applications, my services. And arguably it is from a purely technological sense. But what happened was we went and we just grabbed the forklift and started shoving everything we've got under the hood out into the cloud. And then we got done and we turned around and finally went and grabbed the bill in the mail and went, wow, this is significantly more expensive. And I would argue part of that sticker shock is because cloud quantifies the cost so well. 
whatever the number at the bottom of the bill is, that's what it's costing. Whereas when we build our own infrastructure, we kind of tend to wash expenses and things, you know, head count. What's it cost for the person to be in the data center putting labels on cables? And what's it cost to buy a new server? When did we buy it? Did we buy it up front on a large capital expenditure? Or do we buy it piecemeal after the original deployment? Those things tend to get really difficult from a financial perspective to quantify. Public cloud really put it in our face exactly what it costs to run these things. So now that we've seen finally this total summarization of cost, we, in my opinion, are starting to turn around and look at our applications and go, what is costing the most to run out here? Does it really belong out here at a technical level, at a business level, at a financial level? Does it belong in public cloud? Or did it do better? Did it perform better? Did it financially, you know, technically perform better? Does it, is it faster for the users? Or is it, um, does it financially perform better? Is it cheaper to run in your traditional infrastructure? And once we start to figure those things out, we'll start to rebuild our private infrastructure in a private cloud model in order to bring those services back into the the on-prem location where our costs tend to be a little more fixed, a little more controlled, don't have the the third-party overhead attached to them, and we can achieve a better synergy between the, the costs of public cloud versus private cloud. I equate the analogy of we lived in a house and we'd been hoarding all these systems. We were completely packed in. Nobody could move. And then we started to finally move all these bits and pieces out. And now we finally have enough room in our house in order to see the walls, see the floor, see where the kitchen is, and we can renovate and we can get an idea. of. And as the analogy goes, we can renovate in a open floor plan concept now, which is the idea of public cloud, which is that flexibility and be able to have much more space to work in, have you know not be constrained into these tiny rooms like we had originally. That reminds me of a children's book I'm currently running by Julia Donaldson, where somebody brings in, well, they're unhappy with the size of the house. So they bring in cows, pigs, and sheep. And eventually when they remove everybody from the house, everything feels a lot bigger and a lot better. You lose sight of your capacity if you're just trying to add services on top. Personally, I've been burned several times for getting to turn off cloud running VMs and then being hit with a nice substantial bill at the end of the month. Thank you, Microsoft. Thank you, other cloud providers. <laughs> so that's wonderful. So for yourself, you're in a professional services capacity and you have industry experience. So what best practices do you advise people to move from private to public cloud? Or do you have any examples where people have had to roll back to one or the other because they've mishandled the deployment? I can kind of use an example of what works well on public cloud and what kind of motivates to come back from some examples I've seen where it's these really large static servers thinking 8, 16, 32 CPU cores, thinking 128, 256 gig of RAM. A lot of it's running older systems, older maybe legacy software, maybe in-house software. And moving from private to public was purely a component of moving a virtual machine. There was no optimization. There's no optimization to be had. Even The box is in its current state what it is, just to put it in its most simple running it on somebody else's hardware is just a matter of increased cost. There's no scalability. So you think about like um, an application, you have an application that's business-based. During the middle of the night, it sits idle. 8 a.m., the business open, the application ramps up really hard, and you need five, six, seven, eight instances of the application to handle the whole, the whole load of the users. And then 5 p.m. comes around, the business closes, and then the utilization ramps back down. 
when you scale like that, that becomes a great opportunity for public cloud because it's pay as you can consume. You spin up the servers when you need them, you spin them down when you don't need them, and you save that cost during your idle time. You only need those servers running when you need them. The old way we used to do it was we spun up all five, six, whatever the, the, the greatest common denominator was, and we just let them sit there and run all the time. So being able to reassess our applications, identify applications that fit that model and can be either adapted or natively supported is the hope. And as we develop more native support for this scalability concept will come out to be able to ramp up, ramp down, and the costs follow that ramp up and ramp down. Where you don't have those opportunities, being in an infrastructure, a private infrastructure, tends, not always, but oftentimes it, it tends toward being cheaper because you can just buy the box, let it capitalize like we normally do, and it can be financially cheaper to run because you don't have that overhead of the public cloud. And that's usually where I say for people to look at it is you've got to assess your applications and do they fit? Or are we just moving them to move them? Which, to my previous point, can actually provide value because it gets the application or the server moving it up to the public cloud, can get it out of the way for a bit, migrate it out to somebody else's infrastructure, let it run, free up the space in your home data center, rebuild as a private cloud with those core tenants of scalability, resiliency, on-demand consumption, rebuild that infrastructure back at home, then move it back. So you're just renting the apartment while you move all your boxes out, let the things continue to live in the apartment for a while, the public cloud, rebuild your home in the new way of cloud, then move it back. Get the value of both once you have that opportunity to rethink your infrastructure and just use that, use that other place to move it as a temporary holding storage. It comes at a cost, but it's not permanent. It's there temporarily and you can bring it back to where you can have the best fit financially speaking for the long term once you're ready. So you're effectively saying it's important to do a capacity analysis, network monitoring for usage and consumption before executing on a strategy. Is that right? I would say start with the applications, honestly. You just really got to understand how they work. You can't really know how much capacity you need until you know how the application behaves. So there's, there's really, it's a matter of sitting down and thinking about our applications because I feel like we've been so used in the past to just you know, putting the CD-ROM in the drive, next, next, next install, it installs, and then it performs horribly, and we tune it, and it performs horribly, and we tune it, and we keep touching it and poking it and adjusting it until it finally performs right, and then we don't touch it. The new way we need to kind of go in up front with a better understanding of what does this need? How much resources does it need? And deploying with intent rather than deploying and then figuring it out after the fact. But I thought the entire IT space operated on the workaround as a basis. If you have a bug, you just find a workaround. You stick it together with Elmer's glue and sticky tape, and you never touch it anymore. It's fixed. It's fixed. I thought that's the way. So you've given some very insightful topics here, Dane. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a final question I'd like to throw your way. And this might be slightly out of band, but what is something you know now you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Early on in my career, when I was, in, when I was working in higher education here in the U.S., I had a concept and this and I'm I'm going to not going to lay claim to coining the term but I had an idea and we were actually calling it cloud computing. We had a, a data center, we had some servers, we had some tenants in a uh, in a commercial and research park and we had the idea, hey, can we use the extra capacity we have lying around and give it to our tenants? These were very very small companies, 
one, two, maybe three people at most for most of them. And they would have all their critical applications running on a server, sitting on the floor of their office. And it terrified me the idea of if it ever rained and flooded, you know, a fire alarm goes off and the office flooded, this box is going to flood and be destroyed. I don't know if they have good backups. I don't know if they have another server. I don't know how long it's going to take to order one and get it built up and redeployed and all their stuff recovered, even if they do have good backups. And we said, can we just offer them at a very low cost, a fraction of the server, a a virtual core or core on the server, a chunk of the RAM on the server, and they could get data center class facilities, air conditioning, power, redundancy, cleaned power even, not just, you know, grid, raw grid power, uh, high-speed fiber optic internet connectivity because we own the fiber infrastructure between all these people. We We could offer all this stuff that was really kind of neat, but I didn't have the foresight to see where it was going, where that idea could go. And I wish I'd had that foresight to see just how far it could be taken up into what we see now with especially the largest public cloud providers and how they do it. It would have been so great to, even if I didn't execute on it, just to kind of be like, yeah, I saw this coming and have that, have that sense of awareness. But um, yeah, I just, I couldn't, couldn't see past, you know, couldn't see past the problem in front of me at that time. And I wish I had. Oh, so the unofficial father of the cloud sits before us. Fantastic. <laughs> who needs SaaS? Who needs ASS? Who needs PAS? You don't need platform as a service. We need Dane as a service. With thought leadership, you never know. We could have had cloud 15 years earlier. That's great to hear. So, Dane, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been very insightful. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you much. Great to be here. Thank you. That was all for our episode today. I hope you've come away feeling a little more educated and empowered. In case you've forgotten, I'm Robin Johns, and you've been listening to Convergence by Cato Networks. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and I'll see you next time.